Hello, folks. This is your host, Tammy Tucky, and you are now listening to the Tierra Talk Show. We bring you rare interviews with the makers of Disney magic. Whether they be singers, actors, imagineers, animators, they have all made their mark on the Disney name. Be sure to check out the show notes, other episodes, contests, our social media pages from Facebook to Twitter, and more on our official website at www.thetierratalkshow.com. All guest opinions are theirs and theirs alone and do not represent the opinions of the Tierra Talk Show or the host. The Tierra Talk Show is not associated with the Disney Company. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. And from all of us here at the Tierra Talk Show, have a hoop de doo day. I'm excited to welcome this week's Tierra Talk Show guest, Larry Gertz, to the show. Welcome, Larry. Well, it's great to be here. I really want to let our listeners know that, again, this is a complete honor, but this episode is going to be very, very special, especially to big Spaceship Earth fans out there, because Larry was a part of the 1994 update of the attraction. And I don't know about you, Larry, but I have looked countless hours online for information about this particular update and have found nothing. So the fact that I'm speaking to you today is kind of a miracle in of itself. <laughs> well, you you made it to me uh, by a good path through Peggy. Well, Peggy was a great guest on the show, and I just said to her, I said, I love your version of Spaceship Earth, but the one that I grew up with and that my family, we just cannot you know, express our uh, enough love for it, you know what I mean, is the 1994 version. So I'm so glad she referred me to you um, because there there really is limited information about it. So I thought we'd first talk about the initial discussions that AT&T had with you directly because apparently you wrote the script. I, I didn't know for sure what type of theme they were going for. I know it was majorly communication and how that was going to move forward but were there any guidelines for this specific script um as i recall no there were not um these peggy and the original team that developed spaceship earth um really did a very thorough job in terms of what the concept and what the story of the pavilion was and <clears throat> there was never any intention of redoing the front part of the ride, that is, all the way up to the uh, 50s television scene. We we had determined that that really, <laughs> history, we weren't about to revise history in that, and uh, Peggy had done such a great job, um, you know, detailing the history through that period. What we really were looking at and what AT&T was interested in was from the 50s through the future, if you will. And the end of the, sh- the original show had some interesting scenes up there, but um, in light of the fact that the park opened in 1982, obviously, um, it didn't uh, capture Internet, it didn't capture any of the new technologies that we were um, aspiring to at the time. So our intent was to bring it up to date and to, in a sense, finish the show because the original down ramp, the original uh, uh, dome part of the show was 
I, I won't say it was underwhelming, but it was less than spectacular. And um, and we felt that it had a lot of potential, um, you know, if we put our efforts into it. Um, AT&T was, we actually went through a year-long design process for that. AT&T was not, uh, well, they were going through some um, changes in their management at the time. So we worked with a group of people, we developed a concept, and then there were some serious management changes, so the idea sort of went into hold for the better part of a year, as I recall. Uh, when they came back, they had restructured the company. A new group had taken over um, the uh, management of the project. And then we sat down and very seriously uh, went to work with them in designing the new show. Um, interestingly, when we had finally finished the uh, concept, and we can talk more later about how we got the concept and what was intended there. Um, Frank Wells became very interested in closing the deal with AT&T. So myself, Marty Sklar, who was the uh, chairman of, uh, creative chairman of Walt Disney Imagineering, and Frank Wells, who at the time was the CFO of, uh, I'm sorry, the COE of Imagineering, I mean of uh, the Disney company, uh, all traveled to New York and made the presentation to the chairman and, and the senior executives of AT&T, at which time um, they accepted the ideas that we'd come up with. Well, I can only but imagine I... the preparation for that, especially because what I noticed was at the same time Lion King had come out, but my question about Jeremy Irons, the narrator of this specific version, was was this a tie-in to Lion King, or did you guys really claim Jeremy before Lion King did? <laughs> well, actually, it was totally independent. Jeremy Irons has been a uh, favorite actor of mine, and I just love his voice, those sonorous tones. So I actually came up with the idea of Jeremy Irons. Um, Someone, you know, very uh, serious sounding and important sounding had to follow Walter Cronkite. And, uh, oh boy, we, we thought of many, many different people, including Ronald Reagan, who was exiting the uh, presidency at the time. And um, we finally uh, landed on Jeremy Irons. There was a little concern about a, a, a British accent doing the narration, but I think in the end everybody felt that he was... Uh, you know, he he was a towering enough figure that uh, it would work well. And I think in the end it did. I think it gave it a, a, a very prestigious feeling with uh, with that, you know, wonderful deep English accent. He's so regal. How, how were those recording sessions like with him? Were you there? Were you present for them? Yeah, I directed him in the recording sessions. Um Maybe one of the easiest, nicest people's I've, people I've ever directed. Uh, we went through it. Uh, he read through quickly, and then we went through it scene by scene. He told me to stop him and uh, improve or change anything I didn't particularly like after we were all done with the session. He wanted to listen back with me, so if I wanted to make any changes, we could do it at that point. Um, and then I gave him my, the copy of my script and said, 
that my sister was a huge fan, and he signed the script to my sister. So he couldn't have been more charming, nicer, easier to work with. And in the end, he brought his mother to America to see the attraction and wrote me a very nice email about how much his mother enjoyed the attraction. So I would have to say it was one of the high points. I can only imagine that. And and going into that aspect of after the family TV set in the 50s is more about the communication aspect, like what's going to happen in the future. And it's pretty interesting because most of them involve something that we're kind of doing right now is using Skype. You know what I mean? And there's FaceTime now. So it's amazing how you guys really predicted the future in that aspect. So when you kind of jumped in to work on this on on this specific attraction did you guys ride it a couple times and just said okay here is where this specific scene's going to go and this is how we're going to place it and then you know kind of walked the actual track itself yes um with any redo that really is how you have to start you have to familiarize yourself not so much with the old show although in this particular case we did familiarize ourselves with the old show obviously because we weren't changing everything and you need desperately to understand the track configuration and the various dimensions and the various areas of the show uh which is probably a good place to pause here um spaceship earth is a fascinating building and is one of the more complex interiors I've ever seen. The geodesic sphere actually only holds itself up. The uh, attraction itself is built within the sphere within a more rectilinear sort of framework. So if you can think of a box inside of a ball. However, the uh, within that box, the ride system rises um, up to about 178 feet, about 18 stories, and uh, and then descends um, very rapidly. It rises rather slowly, descends very rapidly. The ride system itself is a continuous chain of cars. It's called an omnimover. And um, the way that functions is all the motors are offboard and propel the uh, vehicles by contacting what's called a platen underneath the ride vehicle, and that pushes it forward. All of the cars have to be pushed forward at an even rate. Otherwise, uh, the system doesn't work well. And interestingly enough, the majority of motors are in the down ramp because... uh, (laughs) They need the, the power of the downramp to keep the cars from falling down and pulling all the other cars up. So it's really an amazingly complicated and, and beautifully engineered system. The building itself is very, very difficult to work in because it has beams going everywhere. It has very strange spaces in the... Uh, off the track in the various places that the uh, ride scenes exist. So not only is it a matter of trying to figure out what the story is going to be, but then how to stuff the story into very uh, challenging spaces once you get them there. What we did, we started out and we knew we had the story of communication, and we knew what we wanted to do was take the story further into the future. We did not want to say what kind of technology there would be in the future 
because, frankly, every time you try to guess that, um, you're just trumped. Uh, you, you don't have, you know, the right ideas. Companies come out with some new uh, form of electronics, and so you get, uh, you know, your predictions are generally wrong. What we did figure out was that whatever was coming in the way of communications was going to connect people in more thorough ways than they currently were. And since the really only technologies we knew of today were computer screens, we decided to give the boy and the girl in the modern scene computer screens, one in Japan, one in America, both baseball fans, sharing their lives with each other. So that was our our attempt to say that the world has grown very small and now, you know, two kids 5,000 miles apart can actually share their lives. Um, probably five steps better than pen pals. So that was our idea in that scene. The next one was really sort of motivated by the whole uh, Internet superhighway. You know, at the time, um, Al Gore was vice president, and uh, he was falsely credited with inventing the Internet, which, of course, he didn't. That was invented um, at Berkeley, actually, to uh, for various colleges to communicate with each other. But, um, but he had made it very famous and very popular, so we decided, well, this would... In order to go into the future, why not go into a world of total interconnectedness? So that's what that scene was really about. Okay, we have, we now have seen that people can connect with each other from 5,000 miles apart. Now we're going to go literally into a world of total interconnectedness. And so that was the big globe scene. Um, which, by the way, was only a hemisphere. It was only a quarter of a sphere. We used mirrors on the bottom to complete it. Um, a fellow by the name of Gerard Howland, who is a great opera designer, actually worked with me in designing that scene. Um, we then go, I think it goes from there into the dome. And the dome had always intended to be the most awe-inspiring piece of the attraction because you were supposedly in space um, and you had, uh, you know, all of this empty room to fill with very simple imagery that created this sense of awe in uh, being in outer space. And um, the only things we did there, the only thing we did there was to increase increase the size of the uh, of the glow of the orb you're looking at. Um, we we I think tripled the size of that, so that when you got up there, you know the sphere was just this glowing big object in front of you in the midst of a star field. Um, at that point, to diverge a little bit on a technical uh, note, we had just received uh, a new technology called line array speakers. Very interesting technology. They're uh, a series of small, 
speakers when they're lined up in parallel and stood uh, vertically, they uh, give a very even sound distribution, but if you lay them down flat horizontally, they're very directional. And we had uh, five scenes coming up that were one next to each other that had um, a great it would have had a great deal of sound bleed, but with this new speaker system, you go from one scene to another and really have very discrete sound in every scene. So that really helped um, upgrade the attraction when we did it. Uh, the next scene, uh, you turn around in the dome and uh, start going backwards. And the next scene, before you get into the down ramp, we wanted to make a statement about um, the shrinking world of, of international news reporting. And I'm not sure how long that particular scene stayed in the show. Maintenance might have shut that one down. It, uh, it proved a little bit problematic um, it was in the dome, and we had to do some special uh, technologies in order for the uh, projection not to light up the whole dome and, and, and you know, um, diminish the effect of the globe or the earth or the globe that was up there. So um, they might have removed that. The next scene down was about the future of education. And the idea there was that a classroom could virtually go anywhere, study anything with any sort of um, uh, professorial uh, input. So that, again, the world was just available to all citizens because the technology was bringing it closer. And in this case, it was specifically focused on education, and the scene before it was specifically focused on uh, the news media. Now we're getting, now we're really going down backwards. And um, I can't remember the rate of descent there or the angle of descent, but it's pretty steep. So um, <clears throat> when you're going backwards, you have the advantage when you're doing a ride that people can't see in front of them <laughs> unless they turn around. So every scene can become a little bit of a surprise. There was a lot of space, but really strange little coveys of various kinds of pockets in the down ramp to do scenery in. And um, one of the spaces uh, we just all determined was too small to really make a statement in. So um, the first thing you see is sort of a deep well of just special effect lights. And that was intended to say nothing but just hold your attention as a transition. Then we get into the scenes I believe you referred to in the beginning, which are the four um, communication scenes. The idea here was, again, not technology, but capability, so that when you go by each scene, the mother and the daughter, the uh, doctor and her patient, um, and the other two, the idea was, you know, with the doctor and her patient, you can be out in the remote plains, uh, the, the remote svelte of Africa, and uh, still be able to get a, um, a pregnant mother a uh, an ultrasound or uh, very sophisticated treatment via 
modern communication. Uh, mom saying goodnight to her child while she's on a business trip. All of those ideas were specifically to enable people to become closer together um, over long distances and to do it with images and sound. Um, if I can diverge a minute here, this was a really problematic area for us conceptually. We had sort of figured out what we wanted to do to this point, but at this point we really wanted to dump the technology and just ex explore the possibilities. <laughs> it was very interesting. One night we were listening to, um, the design team was listening to the uh, Beatles song Imagine or John Lennon's song Imagine. And that's what sort of broke us through. Imagine if you could do this. Imagine if you could do that. And suddenly it took it out of the realm of physical equipment and put it in the realm of just dreaming what the possibilities are. And so that's how we approached it. And quite honestly, any connection to the physical reality of what has happened was um, a wonderful, wonderful circumstance um, and, and came much closer than we might have imagined at the time. Because, like, again, all we were trying to say is you can connect. We're not saying how you can connect, just that you can, can will be able to connect. So we were very, very pleased that the future uh, proved us right in that, in, in that prediction. Because at the time, the Internet was not a strong um, uh, supporter of global communication. That would come in the next five, six years. Um, the next scene, once we went through the interpersonal communication that was possible with the new technologies, we determined that we wanted to show the guests the world interconnected. And obviously the way we determined to do that was to build, um, you know, certainly not the whole world, but what looked like a uh, sort of um, caricature of the world so that there were New York icons and London icons and, and Paris icons and Indian India, East Indian icons and etc. all in this architecture, miniature architecture. And what we did was we used a, a really interesting technique of combining black and white light paint and when you fluoresce that with a black light, it doesn't necessarily look like your typical uh, fluorescent black light scene. The white light paint sort of tempers the uh, the glow of the black light, and it honestly makes the the uh, image or the little models that we built look like they were internally illuminated. So we were able to make it look like there was a little bit of life in the city. And then um, we connected that with uh, fiber optics. And that's, those fibers went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, all over the city. 
and you could and when you looked at the scene because of the fiber optics and the way we had programmed the lasers you could see the communication lines going back and forth in in full rainbow colors uh, back and forth between the different areas in the city we then took this monster bundle of fiber optics I believe we used a mile and a half of fiber optics in that part of the show. And what we did was we created a wire mesh tunnel that sort of spiraled down the rest of the down ramp. And the fiber optics swirled around inside this tunnel, the whole idea being that the whole world is connected in the bright, beautiful scene of the city or the cityscape, the worldscape, if you will. And then all of those fibers and all of that communication and all of that information coalesces into this spinning spiral of communication information, and it takes you backwards down the down ramp. So now you are part of this whole information um, and communication revolution. This is now carrying you back into your own world. And um, you then exited the ride vehicle into the post-show. Joe Garlington did the post-show um, for the 94 rebuild. And then when the, um, when was it, 2000 or something like that, um, when Siemens came in, uh, Joe Garlington actually led the effort for the final uh, rebuild of the show. I will say that um, I went on uh, later in my career at Disney. I was the creative director and uh, executive producer for Disney Quest and uh, our fully interactive theme park, which was in Florida and Chicago. And Joe Garlington, the same fellow who did that post-show, uh, did all the interactive attractions at Disney Quest. Well, I hope you don't mind if we can kind of go back. And be I have, like, little questions about specific scenes um, that you particularly did with Spaceship Earth. So I hope you don't mind if we go back again, <laughs> um, especially with uh, the first scene, which is Jason and Keiko, um, when they're communicating with each other. For starters, did you guys have auditions for specific individuals to be seen because most of these most of these auto animatronics have a human <laughs> doing a video of themselves as if they are the auto animatronic so was there an audition process or maybe an imagineer that worked on the attraction that had their son or their daughter be a part of the attraction yes it was children of imagineers have have you have you stayed in touch with any of the kids from these videos? And because I can only imagine that they're you know they have their own children now. I wonder if they even got a chance to show their children the the original attraction before it changed in two thousand six. Um, no, unfortunately, I have not. Um, what uh, amazes me is that you actually found their names. I never in a hundred million years would have remembered their names. Oh, the other thing I should mention um, broadly is the music. Um, I did change the entire musical track, and the whole idea of the music is um, it starts out in prehistory very uh, abstract, discordant, and um, uh, sort of a jumble 
And as we learn to communicate better and better, the music becomes more and more coherent until finally it becomes the sort of recognizable genres of the eras that we remember. And so, you worked close with Ido Guidotti on this, right? Because we, we did talk to him, and he talked very highly of you. Yeah, Ido and I worked together on a number of different uh, projects. He's a genius. Um, he just has a musical sense that uh, really covers about every genre, and his musicianship is spectacular, so he can insert things... So we sat together for, yeah, we sat together probably for a couple of hundred hours um, creating the music. He, you know, he, of course, directed it, he, he arranged it, and he produced it. But um, I was with him pretty much every step of the way. And then before that, as we've already talked about, kind of like the similar type of um, FaceTime, Skype conversations that they have with the doctor and the little boy Tommy and his family, uh, the graduate uh, Juanita Knapp. Uh, Frenchman Eddie with uh, the individuals, um, the mom and the daughter, and the mother sings all the pretty little horses lullaby to her, to her daughter. Um, I didn't know for sure if this was all shot in Orlando itself or in California. No, all shot in California. I think we did have, I think the adults were actors. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure they were. D did you direct those scenes in particular? Yes. My background is uh, film and television, so I... Um, whenever I had uh, media scenes, I would direct them myself. Interestingly, and th this is sort of on technical background, um, that was a very, very difficult piece of geometry to figure out. Um, the scene is Pepper's Ghost, as I'm sure you figured out. Mm -hmm. And all of the connections are behind the ride vehicle. So when you're looking at the scene, one of the parties is actually directly what you're looking at. The other one is actually a reflection from behind the scene. And, um, and that's the way we were make, able to make the fiber optic connections and everything. Um, the challenging thing there was it was a very difficult space. We were right up against the uh, outside skin of the building there. And when we got there, we found that in each of the scenes that you were facing, we had five feet less space than the plans said we did. So we had to scramble to be able to shoehorn those things in there and get everything to line up. When you have a Pepper's Ghost, obviously things have to be lined up perfectly. Otherwise, um, your angles of view make it, make a lie out of it, ruins the effect. So um, we had a wonderful production designer by the name of Alan Harias, and uh, he was able to figure out the geometry of all of those things and make that scene work, for which I will forever be grateful to him. Well, now Siemens has ended their sponsorship of Spaceship Earth. I was wondering, in your opinion, if you were ever to revisit Spaceship Earth again and change it if they were to update it again and you were to be on board with su with such a project like that what would you like to see be added it, it, that's a very simple question that that really is requires a complicated answer if it was a communication company and the theme remained communication um again there's very little reason other than guest appreciation if guests were tired of the uh opening scenes, you know, going all the way up to the top, 
then there would be reason and motivation to change that. If that still seemed to um, score highly with guests, we probably, I probably wouldn't suggest changing that because it would be very costly and really, you know, it, it when it tells the story of communication, the story of communication uh, is well told there. Again, I think what we would have to do is change the entire top and down ramps portion of the ride because, again, the technology has so far outstripped or caught up to the, um, you know, the vision that that is projected there um, that that would definitely need to be updated. There are tremendous challenges, as I said, with uh, renewing that ride in the sense that the building is very difficult to work in and to design into which does, to a certain extent, limit the um, the capability of changing it out. But again, I think, you know, the beginning of the show really works. I think it's really pretty much evergreen. Um, but the down-ramp probably every five or ten years really needs an upgrade, um, probably along the same vein, but, um, you know, projecting out farther and... Uh, maybe taking our communication to another planet. It, it's it's really nice to see that um, the the story still carries again to this day communication and how to communicate with one another. But um, I will always have a very very special place in my heart for your version in particular, uh, Larry, because I I just I, and my family as well because you know it really opened my eyes as a little girl because. I would go on it three different times. That's what my parents would tell me. And we have video footage of us going on it three different times because I always loved that sense of wonder and encouragement of imagination. And it has left such a big impact on me. So even the the chance that I get to talk to you today is is just shocking to me. <laughs> I appreciate all the kudos. Um, it was a very challenging and a very rewarding project. And, you know, many Imagineers over the years from Peggy, you know, up through Joe and his team have worked on it. There's been a lot of labor of love going into that ball. But before we end our interview, um, I have three Disney-themed questions I ask each of my guests. I call them the uh, Fab Three. Um, so, <laughs> so we'll start with the Donald question, which is, as a child, what Disney film would you always like to watch over and over again? You know what? It was pro- it wasn't animated. It was probably uh, um, Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. And our goofy question: What Disney character do you think you would be best friends with if you met in person? Donald Duck. And our Mickey question: If I asked you to name any Disney song at this very moment, what immediately comes to mind? Supergallifragilisticexpialidocious. I'll tell you why that stuck in my head when we did the first Disney Quest. We put a circular sort of portal thing in, and we were trying to figure out, you know, and and uh, sort of a uh, oh Stonehenge sort of arrangement. So there was a circular plinth, and we all those religious plinths have um, inscri- inscription on them. So we wanted to inscribe it, and we found that supercalifragilisticexpialidocious fit perfectly inside that ring. So if it, if you were to have gone to Disney Quest in Chicago, and I think in Florida too we did it, um, and you look at the inside of the ring and you start reading it at the right place, it actually says that. 
but I really hope, Larry, I, I not to, you know, say that I, I don't love your other attractions, but um, this in particular, I felt didn't have the respect and love and uh, known information out online. That's why I really wanted to to focus on this today. But as long as you're as long as you're willing and ready, um, I'd love to have you back on the show to talk about your other attractions that you've worked on. Because again, ev- listeners, I'm telling you, Larry's been involved with the Disney Company for a long time, and everything that he has touched is gold. And I, 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 I'm really still in awe that we got to talk today. So thank you so much for doing this. I really do appreciate it. My pleasure. It was fun talking to you. to build new bridges of acceptance and cooperation between us, to create a better world for ourselves and our children as we continue our amazing journey aboard Spaceship Earth.